This is LAC Online Church in Perry, Ohio. We exist to love God and love people. For more information about our church or ministry activities, please visit LakeErieChurch.com. Now here's today's message. Pastor Dustin and I have been taking you through a six-week journey through the book of Exodus. It's not a chronological um, study in Exodus, but it is a collection of studies out of the book of Exodus that speak to where all of us are living. A week or two ago, Pastor Dustin, the last two weeks, he talked about suffering, he talked about obedience. Today we're going to talk about provision, the provision of God, how God provides. Now by the time the children of Israel left Egypt, they had 600,000 men, according to the scripture. So let, let's play a little math. 600,000 men, let's give every man one wife. Now in the Old Testament, some of them had more than one. I have no idea why you would do that, but they had one wife. So let's give every man a wife. That's another 600,000, which gets you to 1.2 million. Let's give every family two kids. Many of them had many kids. Jacob had 12 sons and a daughter, 13. These clans in the Old Testament were large, but let's just give them two. Now you're to 2.4 million people walking through the desert. Can you imagine the logistics of managing 2,400,000 people? You can hardly get your family of four together and fed and clothed and provided for. Moses had 2,400,000 perhaps. And that desert experience, as Pastor Dustin reminded us last week, Provide, it was, it was so much longer than it had to be. I think he told us geographically it could have been just less than two weeks. But it lasted 40 years. Why did it last so long? Well, in one case, I think God was getting the people ready to live in a new land. They had been slaves their whole life. And so he was getting them ready. If you look at the teachings and trainings that take place in those first five chapters, actually the second, fourth, uh, Exodus through uh, Numbers, you see these teachings that are the result of God preparing the people to live in the new land. But there was another reason why they were there for 40 years, and it was because they did not trust God to take care of them. They did not trust the Lord to take care of them. And because of that, God said, you know what? Since you don't trust me to take care of you, this happened in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, when they were at Kadesh Barnea, when the 12 spies went in the land and they came back and said, it's a glorious land. It's everything God promised, but we ain't never going to live there. Because we saw giants in that land and we felt like grasshoppers in their sight. And the Bible says it ticked. God off. Now, if you have a King James Bible, it says the anger of the Lord waxed hot against Israel. I'm telling you, God got ticked off. 
And so what happens is, he says, you're not going to get to live in the land. It'll be your children. And so he made them walk around in that desert for 40 years until they all died. So it's an experience that lasted longer. And if you were reading on the screen the English version, verse 2 of the text that Ricky read this morning said, the whole community complained about Moses and Aaron. There's some toxic dysfunction going on in these groups. And they're afraid. Now, what were they afraid of? They were afraid because they were in a strange place. And I need you to understand as we get started this morning that whenever you find yourself in a strange place, the tension of that moment can cause you to be afraid. You walk into a dark room where there's no light and you don't know your surroundings. You, you move cautiously. There's an apprehension and a fear that comes with being in a strange place. And sometimes you find yourself with the Lord in places that you've never been before. You find yourself in circumstances you've never lived in. And when you do, you are likely to be afraid. But can I just encourage you, there is no problem being afraid. It was not the fear that the people had at Kadesh Barna that got God angry. It was the fact that they didn't believe God could take care of them. They didn't believe that God was their provider, that God would sustain them. Notice in verse 3 of the text, it'll be on the screen. They said this, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Think about what they're saying. If the Lord had just killed us in Egypt. Now notice what happens. They said, there we sat around in, with pots filled with water, filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. No, they did not. They were slaves begging God to get them out. The only reason that they raised Egypt in their mind is it was a place that they knew. They knew that place. They were comfortable there. Even as hard as it was, they knew it. Now they're out here in a place where they don't know it. It's a strange place and they're afraid. Sometimes your fear will cause you to think that things are worse than they are. Shelly's not here this morning. She's not able to be here. She's not feeling well. She's watching me right now. She knows this is the gospel truth I'm about to tell you. Shelly would rather have double pneumonia than for me to have a cold. She has a phrase for it. She calls it a man cold. That's not a pleasant thought either. That's, that's men tend to think it's worse than it is. I'm not sure why you're pointing. You're nudging your husband, right? Sometimes your fear can cause you to think it is worse than it is. There was a season in my life many years ago. I was in my mid-20s, and, and I, I, I just got consumed with fear, and, and I was overwhelmed with anxiety, and I just thought there were so many things wrong with me. If I, 
I felt a pain one day in my calf. And I went running to the doctor and I said, I'm afraid I've got a blood clot. It's because we, we, our fears do that to us. It's our fears that do it. And sometimes when we're afraid, we don't realize how much we have going for us. The enemy blinds us. He tells us the sky is falling. God's not answering prayer anymore. Nobody's getting healed anymore. There aren't any miracles anymore. And we start believing that because we're afraid. We're afraid. We're in a strange place and we're afraid. So I want to lift up for you out of this passage, and I'll do this as expeditiously as possible. I want to lift up four things I saw when I'm reading this chapter. Here's the first one. They had going for them the miracle of God's provision in verse 4. Verse 4 says, The Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven. What? I'm going to send food from heaven. You're going to see Big Macs and Whoppers and French fries coming down from glory. And every day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. Just go outside. God's dropping the groceries right on the ground. God consistently proved to them that He was the source that they needed for every day. He just told them, every day when you get up, I'm telling you, I'm providing the food you need for that day. And guess what? Every day from that moment until they got across the Jordan River, that food fell every day just like God said. Because that's how faithful He is. If God says it, you can take it to the bank. If God promises it, it's going to come to pass. God said, I'm going to rain down the food you need from heaven. And guess what? It came every day. Because God consistently proved that to them. The question is, it's the same for you and me. God promises you that he will supply your needs according to his riches and glory. He told you, the prophet said, I have been old and I've been young and I've been old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. You can trust God that he keeps his word. The problem is that we don't know if we can trust God for it. Now God had always taken care of them. Over there at Kadesh Barnea that I was telling you before, why could they not have trusted God? They had already seen the Lord roll up the waters of the Red Sea. They had already seen the provision of God. Why now could they not trust God? It's the same question for you and I. Why can we not trust God? Why do we struggle? Some of you listening to me right now, some of you watching me online right now, you struggle to trust God for even the simplest of things. You struggle to trust God about the raising of your children because somehow or another you're afraid that it's going to get away from you. You you struggle about your finances. You struggle about your health. You struggle about your job. You struggle to trust God. But God says to you today, you can always trust me. I will take care of you. I won't leave you alone. I won't forsake you. You have to live every day trusting God for the provisions and have a confidence 
in God's ability to do it. Think about, you know, think about the fact that some of you don't trust God enough with your finances to pay your tithes. Not because you think I need it, it's because it's a matter of trust for you. It's a matter of trust for you. You don't know that you're going to be able to pay your bills. I was talking with a guy right here in the church not long ago who told me I've struggled in this area of my life. I've just struggled and I didn't know, I didn't know if I had enough and so I quit paying my tithes. And he said, I'm telling you, my money dried up and it got tighter and it got worse. And he said, I was in service one day and the Lord just challenged me to trust him. And so I went ahead and I wrote that check for the tithe. And when I got home, there was a check in the mailbox. God was already working even before the man wrote the check. God was working. I'm just telling you, don't let the devil make you afraid about money. God owns all the money in the world. And it's not that God needs your money. It's that God needs you to trust him. That's why tithing is important to God because God needs you to trust Him. When you pay your tithes, you're trusting God. When you are not paying your tithes, you're not trusting God. Second of all, they had the miracle of provision, but they also had the miracle of multiplication. Notice in verse 5, On the sixth day they will gather food. This is God talking. On the sixth day they will gather food. When they prepare it, there will be, what's that word? Twice as much as normal. You want a Whopper and a fry and a milkshake, tomorrow you get two. Twice as much. You serve a God who has the ability to multiply like nobody you have ever known. In fact, I thought, I thought that the miracle of the manna was in the fact that it was falling down from the heavens, but that's not the true miracle of manna. The miracle of manna was the fact that when they prepared it, the Bible said, there was twice as much as normal. Where have you heard that before? Well, there was a prophet that walked up to a widow woman in Zarephath and said, I need you to bake me a cake of bread. And she said, I only have enough oil and enough meal to make one cake of bread and me and my baby are going to die. And the prophet said, make mine first. Make it first. And I promise you that that barrel of oil will never run out. There will always be meal. You know what happened? There was always oil. There was always meal. Why? Because God owns all the meal. God owns all the oil. And people who trust in Him, people who put their confidence in Him, experience the provision of multiplication. God has the way of taking something simple and making it big because He owns everything. He owns everything. And He multiplied it. As they prepared it, it was multiplied. Think about Jesus out there. They handed Him a, a five loaves and two fishes, a little boy's lunch. The Bible said He blessed it and broke it, and it started multiplying. 
When you put what you are, what you have, what you're afraid of, what you're nervous about, what you're worried about, when you put it in the hands of the Lord and He blesses it, there's a multiplication process that provides more than you could possibly ever need because they had the provision of multiplication. Not only that, thirdly, they had the provision of revelation. They had the provision of revelation. In verses 6 through 8, By evening, he said, You will realize it was the Lord who brought you out. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. You know what? And this is just about as plain as I can say it. At some point in your life, you have to realize it's God that's been keeping you alive. It's not your smarts. It's not your intelligence. It's not your personality. It's not your wisdom. It is the hand of God that has been protecting you and keeping you and providing for you and sustaining you because that's who He is. And there is a revelation that comes. At some point in your life, you may not be there yet. Maybe you'll get there today. Maybe in this moment right now, God is revealing to you that the things that you look around and say, that was the hand of the Lord. That was the goodness of God. That was the blessing and the graciousness of God that was providing for me in that moment. There's a revelation about that. I love this passage in Luke 22. It'll be on the screen. Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he said, Simon... Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you. And when you are restored, when you are restored, you're going to be a witness. And you're going to help others. You're going to bring back your brothers. What I'm saying to you is, it's God that is praying for you today. It's Jesus who's interceding for you today. It's the Lord who is on your side. It's the Lord that's keeping you alive. It's the Lord that's holding back the enemy and keeping the devil from his intended plans. It is the Lord that is your strength and your keeper. God is doing that for you. You think, well, I, I don't know if I believe that. Let me just remind you that God is keeping you alive when the enemy wanted to destroy your life. God is keeping the food on your table when you weren't able to pay your bills. God was keeping you healthy when you couldn't afford to go to the doctor. God is keeping that old car running when you don't have money to get a new one. It is the Lord who is on your side. It is the Lord who is helping you. It is the Lord who has been your strength. I look at Brother Tyrese in his 80s now, heading toward 100, he says. But Brother Tyree is here by the grace of God. The revelation is that God has had his hand on Brother Tyree's life. He has trusted the Lord and God has provided and God has sustained and the Lord has kept him. And at some point, it's what Jason was trying to say. At some point, you just have to give him praise because God has been taking care of you. It's arrogant for me to think I'm doing this on my own. It's arrogant for me to think I can manage life without the Lord. I can't do it without Him. It is the Lord who is keeping me by His power. They had the miracle of revelation. Put that next slide up on the screen. Psalms 124. Can you see that? Yeah, look at what it says. Had it not been the Lord 
who was on our side. Let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side. If the Lord has not kept us, if the Lord hasn't been protecting you, if the Lord hasn't been providing for you, you're in trouble. If you're looking to somebody else to provide, you're in trouble. If you put your faith and your wisdom and your trust in the things of this world, you're in trouble. The institutions of this world are crumbling. The things that we used to depend on, they're crumbling. You know why? Because there's only one sustainer and his name is Jesus. There's only one person who keeps us and it's Jesus. He's the one that is providing for all of our needs today. Lastly, they had the miracle of enough. Verses 17 and 18. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everybody had just what? Say it. When they measured it out, everybody had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. Those who gathered a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Paul Carlo, whatever you need for you and Nikki and the kids, he's enough. Jason Saunders, whatever you and Joy need, he's enough. He's promised it. Nick and Nikki, listen to me. He's enough. Billy, Heather, it's enough. God has provided enough. I've been wrestling with the word enough for a while now, knowing I was going to be preaching this, and I've talked to some of you about this, but whatever they needed, it was enough. Here's my, here's my moment to say this. I'm convinced now that enough is not a quantity. It's an attitude. Think about it. Enough is not a quantity. It's an attitude. The writer in the epistle said, don't be greedy. Be content. Enough. Because if you're, if you're not careful, the world will squeeze you into a mold that says, I got to have more. I need a bigger house. I need a better car. I need a bigger job. I need more money. I need more clothes. And it's an endless chase for something more. God said, don't do that. In fact, he said in Matthew 6, he said, your heavenly father knows what you need. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Enough. Enough stuff. How much stuff is enough? You know, I moved a lot in my lifetime. The work that I was doing with the church and the administrative side, we had to move every four years. The appointments were four years, and so I would move every four years. I came to hate cardboard. But we would pack up all this stuff, and then we would take it to the next place, and we would stack it up in the garage. And in four years, we'd take those same boxes and put it back on the truck. And I told my wife, I said, listen, if we haven't opened that box in four years, we don't need it. Yeah. 
Racine Barkley and I have this ongoing tension. I, she thinks I throw away too much stuff. She holds on to things longer than I do. I gave, her, I gave her that spot. I wanted her to have that opening right there. We had this talk last week. But here's what I'm telling you. You don't need more stuff. You just need the Lord, and He's enough. He brings enough. He provides enough. And here's the question you have to ask yourself. If you're insatiably chasing after more, why are you doing that? Why do you need more? Why do you need better? Why do you need this, that, or the other? We're all guilty of that. You know, Apple comes out and tells us that we need the new iPhone, and we all just get it because they tell us to. Fact of the matter is, the old phone probably worked fine. But we get caught up in this idea that we need more, we need better, we... And it doesn't make us happy, does it? We still need more. It's our selfishness. It's our self-centeredness that leads us to think that we need more. We don't need more. We need to trust God for enough. Come on, Pastor Jerome. Psalms 23 and 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not. That means if my trust is in my shepherd, I'm not ever going to be without what I need. And somebody listening to me right now needs to hear that. Somebody watching me right now may need to hear that. If the Lord is your shepherd, you can quit chasing something out there that you think you have to have. You can lay down your fears that you're not enough or that you can't do it or that it won't get done or it's going to get out of control because the Lord is the one that's taking care of you. Now listen, you can't be stupid. God expects you to be a steward of what He gives you. But you don't have to be afraid. You may remember a few months ago when the economy kind of heated up really fast coming out of the pandemic and gas got crazy and somebody said pastor what are we going to do if gas gets to five dollars a gallon I said the Lord will make sure we'll be all right we're not dependent on the government we're not dependent on somebody else we're dependent on the Lord so let's see if you can catch it this is this I want to see if you can catch this in Acts 27 the apostle Paul is on a ship He's been arrested and he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's never going back. He's going to go to Rome and he's going to die there eventually. They put him on a boat with 275 men and they start traveling. And a terrible storm blows up. A storm that was so fierce and so ferocious that after 14 days, the men on that boat had given up hope that they could survive it. They started making peace with the fact we're going to die. Paul stood up and told him, he said, listen, I don't want you to be afraid because the God that I serve, his angel stood by me tonight and told me we're going to make it. 
And I believe God, he said, that it will be exactly as God said. Some of you have been sitting here in this service this morning. I have said it over and over and over. God is going to take care of you. And now you have to decide, do you believe that? Or do you put your faith and confidence in your ability to take care of things? Manage things and you've got your faith and your confidence in yourself or somebody else or something else. You see, the problem is not provision. The problem is trust. It's how much are you willing to trust God with your life, with your children, with your marriage, with your career, with your health. With the future, some of you sitting here today are trying to figure out if there's going to be a if there's going to be a man or a woman in your future that you can be married to. And if you're not careful, you can get caught up in this pressure to to rush that process, and you can make a mistake that stays with you the rest of your life. When what God is saying to you this morning is just trust me. I know you. I know what you need. I know what the future is. Don't get caught up in the pressure of needing something and not trusting me to give you what you need. I thought this week about people who would be sitting here or watching me who, who are raising teenagers. The struggle and the strain that you feel, the tension that you sometimes feel, and you just worry and you wonder about whether or not you're going to be able to do it. God is saying to you, trust me. I've got you. I've got your kids. I've got the future. Put your faith and your trust in me. Some of you are battling health issues. God knows where you are. He knows what's on the scans. He knows what's in the medicine. He knows how to help you navigate tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He will always give you enough. Enough strength, enough grace, enough mercy, enough compassion, enough provision. Because He promised it. Because He knows you. Now there's a small segment in this story that I we passed over real quickly. When we were talking about them gathering the food, it said some of them gathered a lot, some gathered a little. I'll tell you why that, I think that's in there because not everybody needs the same thing. A mama with five babies needs more than a mama with two babies. But he went on to say everybody had enough. And the reason that's important is because God knows the unique and particular need of your life. Let me show it to you. Jason, come here. Come here. Come here, Sophia. You knew I was going to do that, right? And you love being up here with me, don't you? Would you agree... There is a substantial difference in body mass between these two. Absolutely. 
Okay. For the moment, I want you to imagine that these two, my good friend Sophia and my good friend Jason, they are a part of the 275 people on the boat with Paul. God told Paul, you're all going to make it. Sophia, you're going to make it. Jason, you're going to make it. Well, at some point, that boat ran into a sandbar and it started busting up. And the, the soldiers decided that they were going to kill all the prisoners. And Paul said, don't do that. And so they said to the prisoners, all of you that can swim, there's an island right over there, Sophia. There's an island right over there. And you're a good swimmer, so you just jump out of the boat and you swim to that island. And so they did. Others of them that didn't swim didn't have that privilege. And that story in Acts 27, you can read it for yourself. The language is so specific. It said, all made it safely to land. Some on planks, some on boards. Here's my point. It takes a bigger board for Jason than it does for Sophia. But when that boat broke up, guess what? God knew who, God knew who could swim and he knew who couldn't swim. And he knew what kind of planks were going to be needed and what kind of boards were going to be needed. And God provided the exact board that was needed for every person to be able to make it. Thank you. Thank you. What am I saying? God knows where you live. God knows the balance in your checking account. God knows what's going on with your teenage daughter. God knows what's happening at work. God knows the problems in the old car you're trying to drive. And he's got you. You hear me? He's got you. Thank you for listening. Lake Erie Church is a multicultural Pentecostal church located in Perry, Ohio, about 30 minutes east of Cleveland. We would love to have you for a visit sometime. For more information or to connect with our team, please visit lakeeriechurch.com.